0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Mann. And I'm Matt Condon. And this is Digialty Rare, the <laughs> show about Digialty owned things and what that means now and in the future. Digitally rare. Digitally rare. Indeed. So, uh. <laughs> Big news, our t-shirts are uh, available for sale. The t-shirts will be live at bit.ly slash drshirt. And uh, we would be super, super, super psyched if you wanted to buy them. Here's the deal on the t-shirts. They are just our logo, but um, we're making them super extra rare by doing the thing that I did by accident on purpose in this case. And leaving out the first T of the word digitally. So it's digitality rare. Uh, and so the way this works is that these t shirts will only be on sale, I think it's gonna be for two weeks. Ooh and ooh. You is that own, what I
1: do I hear that is that a physically rare it's digitally a f- rare t-shirt? Physically rare oh time Oh my
0: goodness. We're using time which as we've discussed is the most uh yes, authentic allocation mechanism for scarcity. Exactly. So <laughs> so you have 2 weeks to buy the digialti rare original, you know, we may do t-shirts in the future but they'll never be mm-hmm, misspelled mm-hmm. like this. So if you want to show your early support of the show, I think they're gonna be $28. That's from a company called Cotton Bureau. I own several shirts Very from nice. them from different podcasts. And I own a hoodie from them that I wear all the time. The reason I, I chose them is they're the shirts, seriously, they're really they're like high quality shirts. They feel great. They're super high quality cotton, all that kind of stuff. So Digialty Rare, bit.ly slash DR shirt. That's bit.ly bit.ly slash dr shirt get them while they're i would love to sell like i'm setting the bar i hope low like there's there's a hundred or so listeners now of this show
1: mm-hmm, so mm-hmm.
0: i'm i'm hope, can, if we can oh, sell like we're 20. 4x up from
1: that if, that 27 i know like, three i know we're doing ago. good
0: so if if we could sell like 20 shirts mm-hmm. i th- i would feel really good about that yeah. so
1: that would definitely cover all of our hosting costs. And I mean we don't really have any other costs, but No, that's it. That would great. cover
0: it for like a couple of years, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so so please. Uh that's the t-shirts. And uh today we're super psyched to have our pal, Cyrus Laraspor, on the show. Cyrus, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um I I Matt, you can say when you met Cyrus, I, yeah. I saw Cyrus speak at Uh, once again the the best uh nft show (laughs) that there's ever been the best conference the nft summit and cyrus gave an electrifying talk Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. nft maximalism which is like a term that i use all the time now and when i'm discussing 100 percent entering
1: the the parlance of the
2: lexicon right the lexicon certainly well, it's trademarked now, so you have to give <laughs> you, a, you, to give you a, some ETH every time yeah. we, every yeah, time yeah, we, we it say works.
1: it. Some uh, continuous royalty model there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I first met you online somehow, I guess through Twitter or something. But that's yeah, right. in person, first on uh, the NFT Summit, where when you were giving the... We put your collect, collectible maximalism talk right either before or after the one about how collectibles need to have inherent utility. Yeah, in games. there you I go. I think that was mm-hmm. from... Uh, Uh, the people from Horde, which was also great. Chris Robinson. Yes. And I found myself uh, with both of those talks just like nodding along saying, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But especially with the collectible maximalism like that, I mean, that gets to the core of the philosophy that like just owning that digital thing, is that just enough? Actually, could you tell us more about collectible maximalism? Like what's the 10 second, 30 second version of that thesis?
2: Yeah, I I think the 10 second version is that um, most of the value in nfts is going to accrue to collectibles which is to me the the types of assets that don't have any inherent baked in utility so the types of things where the value is what they represent and not what they do Mm -hmm. why do you think that is i i tend to i tend
0: to agree with that um i'd be curious what what is your theory of the case for why you know Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. some some sort of utility, NFT, whatever it might be, is not going to be the sort of the, the, the real thing to catch on. Does that
1: derive from um, like maybe a, a physical real life example or?
2: No, it's because it's a better application of the technology, right? Because like non-fungible tokens means we're talking about things on a blockchain. So I think like things like digital assets that have utility are going to produce a lot more value than... NFTs are. I'm just saying, of the category that is blockchain assets, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it makes sense to have, you know, all those other types of applications people talk about, like in-game mm-hmm. items and like all those kinds of things. I think they're a, a misappropriation of the technology. So, if we're like specifically talking about tokens, then I think the only tokens that make sense in the long term. Our collectibles that's really interesting
0: what do you imagine like in place of nfts like if you know all these people are like we were saying using these nfts as in-game items what what do you
2: what do you think they should be using instead well, of nfts i mean i don't think people are using nfts as in-game items in any meaningful way like there's something right. like 50 billion dollars a year being sold of like virtual items in, in other applications. Like there was like, like yeah, even
1: I think it's closer to 80, but yeah, it's an
2: enormous number, right? Like I think Fortnite sold a billion dollars of dances in (laughs) in one year. And like counter strike Go sells $500 million of like decorations for in-game guns and that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So like, Mm -hmm. I can see why the, um, the entrepreneurial and investment community like broadly wants to construct this narrative that those dollars are going to flow into tokens instead of of the way that they work right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think like blockchains at their core are a super specialized type of of database and they come with like an enormous amount of trade-offs. Like you get these cool properties around decentralization and censorship resistance, but then on the flip side, you get these disadvantages like transactions are really slow and users need to custody their own private keys, um, all those sorts of things. So I feel like we're gonna see that set of trade-offs be like a relatively niche thing that that only works for certain applications. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I don't think in-game items um, are are one of them. I I think the movement towards right. that is just because the narrative is compelling
1: and not because, you know, real gamers today want to do that sort of thing. Totally. Yeah, the narrative is definitely really compelling. Like I I totally see it, and yet at the same time, the go-to-market for that seems uh, difficult, very difficult, just because, yeah, it doesn't seem like people really want censorship resistant digital game items, and the sort of interoperability narrative is, again, super compelling. Uh, The ability to use this item in this other game or transfer a character from one to another. um, Really really cool, but I'm not sure that the incentives are aligned for like the publishers themselves and um yeah is is that anything really more than a novelty ultimately right. yeah is it not just exactly yeah and so will the 80, $80 billion dollars whatever percent of that pie will that move over to truly digitally owned interoperable game assets that's you know a hard question um it'd be cool but i don't know if uh, i don't know if the market agrees with that well, you could do interoperability today. That's like, there's true. there's nothing
2: keeping from one game doing an integration with another That's game. That's true. That, that so says, really at like, a
1: fundamental level fundamental level, what is the benefit then so if you're talking about the, the game specific like game items, what is the fundamental thing that you could only get with a blockchain?
2: I think you get a marketplace for free. That's kind of a cool mm. thing. So like if you're if you're developing a game, if you're an indie developer, you don't need to spend time uh recreating like having the auction house or whatever because OpenSea is going to give you that for free but i think the majority of the market is in games that like Certainly. that's that's a trivial task for them right like they yeah. don't have a hard time doing that doesn't steam also
1: give you like a market for free
2: like if you integrate with them right so if if you yeah. release on a platform like steam you get that automatically right and i think so also I guess, a lot of games yeah. are moving away from having that kind of thing so like. I think in Fortnite, you can't like sell or trade your dances mm-hmm. um, in like Magic the Gathering Arena, which well, is there's like...
1: actually like a lot of uh, laws against that. There's, there's a um, part of the reason I think games don't do as much interoperability and like the ability to exit your money from a game as much as they may want to is because of the regulatory structures that make it um, really tough to avoid being classified as like a money transmitter and that is just a barrel of worms they don't want to open.
2: Yeah, I think also if yeah. you have loot boxes within the game, um, right. you want to keep up this farce that the value of the thing in the loot box has zero economic value. Exactly. Because if you allow right. people to like oh, scratch a lottery ticket and exactly. they might get $1 and they might get $100, then it's yeah. like, well, that's mm-hmm. a lottery ticket, right? But if you say, oh, all of those things are worth zero and people exactly. only buy and sell them you know, outside our terms of service, then you can kind of keep up that
1: lie. So I guess then at a fundamental level, like the benefits of a blockchain don't really show up in terms of the experience. They kind of show up maybe more philosophically around the feeling of true digital ownership. Is that actually something that you have thoughts on? Like, is there value in the feeling, the metaphor, the philosophy of true digital
2: ownership? Well, I mean, I mean when you own an item in a game today, I think the majority of people that, that own those things feel like they own them. Mm-hmm, and I think yeah. they probably don't feel like they own them to the extent that you, know, you might feel like you own a physical thing, but it's right. not that far removed. And like a big part right. of that is like, the the affordances that you can do with them is there some sort of like organizational thing that you can do in your inventory? Can you like move them around, and that makes you feel like you can kind of like curate your right. experience some or something curatorial
1: like that? Aspect.
2: Right. There's also like this longevity aspect, which is like you know Counter Strike, which has been around for years. Like there's never been a case of somebody just having their their skins deleted or something like that. So there's kind of this right. trust build up in in the developer ecosystem. I think right. um, you know one of the reasons blockchains are are so great is like there's no single actor that can do the delete or mint function like for for bitcoin for example right like everybody knows what the emission rate is but Mm -hmm. i think like if you're if you're talking about an item whose entire value is derived from a centralized experience like Mm -hmm. the reason i want to own counter-strike skins is so that i can use them in the centralized counter-strike game i think like it's okay for that record of ownership to be centralized by the party that is also Certainly. delivering its utility, because like if if they go out of business or if the game disappears, you know, Certainly. there's no reason I would want to own that skin to begin with. So right. I don't feel like
1: I, I would, t- as a user, I'm yeah. taking you on any care additional because risk because you would be to use it anymore. My asset the centralized point. there, and like maybe the image servers go down, and now your your token points to an image that no longer exists. And like sure, you could back that up, but yeah, the, oh. there's no real. Uh, value anymore yeah i guess that definitely falls into the sort of like 100 percent decentralized or bust theory of things where if censorship resistant is truly like 100x better or infinity x better than you know some any sort of centralized actions then everything in that system needs to be totally decentralized totally censorship resistant truly digital owned like all the way down to the game itself maybe it's you know something like pokemon go where it uses proof of location to allocate allocate items and there's no central server that you're being dependent upon no like game dev that can go out of business something like that but
0: of course then like you know the trade-offs of that are huge in terms of usability and like so
1: much work is that really better than pokemon go i don't think so (laughs) yeah right Right. i'll I'll give
2: you an example that i think is in the middle on the spectrum so like uh Trading card games like Magic: mm. The Gathering. So, like, if Magic: The Gathering cards existed as NFTs, um, then you know you wouldn't. There would if the the game developer went out of business, you wouldn't be able to use their like centralized service to play the game. But like, people know the rules of Magic. Like, it wouldn't right, be that right. hard to build a website that says these cards interact with these cards in that way. Because when you play Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. the cardboard magic cards, like, you know, know. you're not involving the game developer, you know how to do it. So that's an example of a game where I feel like, you know, if there isn't a complete dependency on the developer to sort of derive the utility from the cards Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. the game itself is dependent on there being some type of scarcity, like not everyone has access to all of the cards all the time, then I, I think, you know, that's maybe
1: like a hybrid where I can see it making sense. Totally, where that censorship resistance, or really just like the you know uh, immutability of of the blockchain, could actually be useful. Yeah, Matt,
2: you make a good point though that like we talk about NFTs and tokens in general as though they all have scarcity because like all mm. of this stuff started with Bitcoin, and we sort of like we think right. about things through the lens of Bitcoin. But Certainly. like one thing, like the, the truth is, all the details are programmed into the smart contracts because right. all mm-hmm. NFTs are like you know based in a smart contract. So like I do this thought experiment. We're like, imagine an alternate universe where the CryptoPunks project is created and it's exactly the same, except there's an admin account programmed into the smart contract. Mm -hmm, And the admin mm -hmm. account has the power to mint new punks, destroy existing punks, and transfer punks between users. Mm. Like today, we would still call that an NFT project because Mm -hmm. the punks would would still be NFTs. They'd still be on a blockchain. So there would be this aura of decentralization. But it would just be a worse version of a web application. Like you wouldn't get right. any of the benefits, and you'd get all of the disadvantages. Totally. So, so, so like I think the details matter, and like what we're seeing like broadly is this like movement towards re-centralization to deal with all of the crappy user experience stuff. But then 100%. it's kind of like, well, what's the point of doing it this way to begin with?
1: Right. No, absolutely. That's uh, a I, really
0: I, good question.
2: Yeah. In terms,
1: yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and so it definitely seems to me like the middle ground is tough. Like, obviously there's perhaps value in pushing towards that 100% decentralized, especially if you believe in like open markets and uh, extending these like opportunities to a global audience and like maybe not locking things geographically. And then there's a lot of philosophical stuff there as well, but it seems really hard to justify that middle ground uh, in the short term, right? That sort of centralization of parts of the experience. And at that point, like, why did you bother with the, very hard decentralization problems if you are not actually going to get those base benefits out of it.
2: One way that I think about it,
1: or about if an application is appropriate for a blockchain, is
2: do people care about doing whatever it is that they're going to do enough that they will physically write down a 24-word seed phrase <laughs> keep it safe. Like and that's right. a pretty high bar for a consumer. App. Like, like almost, if you almost never, almost never. Yeah. Yeah, like I heard one of the CryptoKitties founders joke that they were the first game in history that required players to go through an anti-money laundering compliance check. Yeah. And it's right, true right. because you couldn't play CryptoKitties without ether, which meant signing up for Coinbase, which meant KYC AML. Right. Um yeah, but like t- to me, that's that's the threshold. And I can tell you two applications that I think meet that threshold. Mm. One is financial speculation. Like if you put right. a big chunk of money into tokens, sure. you're very motivated to write it's, down 24 to, words. To have that shit locked down, yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah. And the other one is buying drugs on the internet. <laughs> like, yeah. see, pe- people don't talk about it enough. Real, and like yeah. I understand why. that Because, yeah. you know, the industry broadly wants to sort of like shed this narrative and move beyond right. it. But like... That was the original consumer application of crypto and nothing, right. including CryptoKitties
1: has gotten more adoption than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, Honestly, darknet markets totally underserved. Yeah. There was, we were joking about this with, um, there was this Gang article um, a month or so ago talking about a decentralized darknet distribution network where mm-hmm. everything was broken into layers, protocolized, API-ified. So like any layer of the stack of getting, you know, your illegal substance from one place to another. No one had any knowledge of the others, probable liability, the whole shebang. And so um, the joke then was that like, yeah, this would actually be well-served by a blockchain coordinating all of these disparate parties and like (laughs) totally a market.
2: If if you're working in like a regulatory or PR capacity in crypto, I could see why like this is not the narrative that you talk about. Mm -hmm. But if you're like working in products or you care about like, Uh, user experience or usability I think like that's kind of your benchmark application that you need to look to is like can I deliver Mm -hmm. as much value that motivates someone to write down those 24 words and you got to look to like what's the thing that has done that best and it's it's been buying drugs on the internet
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. where do you where does that fit in then with your crypto with your nft maximalism because drugs have innate utilitarian value right Right, right, right 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 Yeah, right. As does, <laughs> as does our, you know, arguably money, right? So, you know, in terms of, um, and I mean, maybe we can, maybe this is a segue into when you're thinking about building the platform that you're building, and you can talk about that, where does that, how do you approach that question of, of can I get people to write down this, this 24 word uh, passphrase?
2: Yeah, I I think it absolutely fits in. Um, I mm-hmm. care about my CryptoPunks, which are, you know, the collectibles that I care about most. Um, mm-hmm. more than I would care about buying drugs on the internet. And they are what motivated me to write down my 24 words and keep them precious because I know mm-hmm. that those 24 words have my punks on them. And like, I would want to protect that at the maximum amount that I could. Mm-hmm. So, so um, the way that, that it relates for me as, as somebody who's building a product is that I don't think my product can be successful unless I can communicate the value proposition sufficiently Mm -hmm. that you know that users care about these things to the same degree that i care about my crypto
1: right that's kind of a a good way of thinking about it is instead of um measure instead of making your product more accessible uh, rather instead of hitting a bar of um usability right usability making your product more accessible in order to get people to use it hold yourself to this ridiculously high bar of you know writing down 24 seed phrases and going through this whole process and only then can you be certain that your product is like, hell yeah, people want this.
2: Yeah. So, so to segue into like what I'm working on um, mm -hmm. right now, I'm running a Kickstarter for a mobile app called Zoma, which is a wallet for collectibles. And, um, we're raising money for it by selling a set of collectibles. And those collectibles are digital artwork for a TV show called Gumby, which is like this (laughs) awesome green claymation dude that everybody knows. Um, Wow. And like at, at <laughs> its core, I think it's like more than anything else, well, it's an experiment in a lot of different dimensions, but at its core, it's an experimentation of language. It's about like, mm-hmm. can I make a convincing argument for crypto collectibles that resonates with lay people? Because I mm-hmm. think like I have this intense fandom for crypto collectibles, and it's a difficult thing to explain why. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. if, if I can convince normal people that owning rare memorabilia in a digital way is awesome, then I think like people are gonna wanna buy these things. And I think if normal people wanna buy these things, it's naturally gonna lead to like the other speculative behaviors that you see in NFT projects where people who just kind of wanna invest are gonna buy up a bunch of them because they think, oh, this is like the first generation one and it's gonna be worth a lot in the future, yada, yada, yada. If if I only appeal to those people, the second category, the speculators, I think that's a failure. But I think if I can- For sure, yeah. yeah. if, If I can appeal to like, the actual person who wants to own it just to own it, then I think you're naturally going to get the second category. Anyway. So, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. let's talk a bit about your, uh,
0: your approach, which is, you know, which is, which is interesting. Um, you know, you came up with this term maternal artifacts to, to describe, yeah, really to describe do. them.
1: I like that. Um, Thank
0: you. And, and so talk a little bit about, about your thinking there of, of, of how, you know, how, Cle- clearly you've like, like both Matt and I have also done, you know, talk to many, many, many people who are not interested in this at all. And, uh, you presumably came up with a, a way of talking that, 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 you feel like resonates. So can you, can you talk a little bit about, about that process and how you, how you arrived there?
2: Yeah, it, it was really rooted in having a number of conversations about why I thought NFTs were cool. And, and again, because I'm, such a serious crypto punk enthusiast. Like that's the the project that I most talked about. Mm-hmm. And and I tried to find like the language that makes it most interesting without saying the word blockchain, without saying mm-hmm. the word crypto and that kind of God stuff. God forbid you say the word fungible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's a separate Matt'll rant show that we can totally you go down. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like, I heard fungible. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: but like the, the things that I found resonated most with lay people who weren't like you know around crypto or whatever mm-hmm. was this idea that like you can have a rare thing that can't be duplicated because it goes against like all of um like all of Intuition. our assumptions about right. computer files about right the like the internet I have, yeah. yeah yeah like i have a photo and i email you the photo we both have the photo but mm-hmm. like what if there was mm-hmm. a kind of photo that i emailed you and then like I didn't have it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's like a little bit of, uh, a, a stretch of the language because I think mm-hmm. some people wouldn't refer to tokens as being computer files, but right. I don't think it's that far off either. Right. Because like Ethereum True. is software that you run and like everybody is synchronizing what the global state is. Right. And the token itself is really like, you know, um, an entry in a tree, you know, it's, it's an integer in an array somewhere that we're sort of moving across a global state. And right. I, I think it's a reasonable definition. So I, I found not being able to be duplicated seemed to resonate. And I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. also the fact that, like, you have something that is going to be backed up forever is, mm-hmm. is you know, the idea of eternalness was really cool about computer files because we mm-hmm. don't normally think about them as having very long time horizons the way we think of, like, some types of artwork existing for, you know, hundreds or thousands of right. years or or something like that. So, like, those two main value propositions more than saying, like, true digital ownership or something, were mm, the mm, things mm. that that I wanted to try and see, could, can they create a convincing narrative for why people would want to own one of the first assets that has these properties.
1: Right, eternal artifact. That's really good. It sums up quite a bit in two words. I, I like that a lot. Thank you. It's, it's really cool. I mean, th- definitely that's the exact same thing that I'm trying to convey to people with Dot when I'm like talking about the project is we have stickers, they're scarce, and you can send them to people. And when you send them to someone you lose it right and Mm -hmm. that is completely unintuitive to how people use computers today and so that also is what makes it compelling right is that new mechanic is like what does that how does that change things yeah so yeah eternal artifacts that's really cool and do you go into so obviously the first thing that someone always comes back with when you talk about scarcity and uh, artwork is like oh you can copy and paste the picture um it's really the ownership of that that's scarce do you have a a a clap back for that so to speak
2: um i try and draw a distinction between the the image file and the artifact and and Mm -hmm. the way that i Mm -hmm. do it in my pitch for zoma is i say like anybody can take a screenshot of it which is my way of like describing okay you can replicate Mm -hmm. visually what it looks like but the artifact is not the image like the artifact is the token and that's the thing that you Mm -hmm. can't copy right totally it's sort of like if you could make a perfect copy of the mona lisa but like anybody who could you know had a jeweler's loop could right. look and see that it's not the right. true one like superficially mm-hmm. they might be the same but like if right. you're technically sophisticated enough to install you know an ethereum wallet on your computer you can look up who owns whatever token or you can go to etherscan or whatever and you can sort of like verify the truth which is the equivalent of being like oh that's the fake mona
3: lisa that's the if there one. were two mona lisas the same in- you know what was real and you know that one was fake what would you say had the authenticity failure begins with having to explain fungibility
1: yeah the mona lisa is the exact same example that i use where it's like yeah you can have a print of it but that doesn't make it it's on mugs valuable.
0: that's the thing i always say yeah. it's on mugs you know yeah. the, the <laughs> mona lisa is on a mug like you can get a mug with Mona Lisa on it. Like it's not that <laughs> yeah. it's not a
2: big deal, right? And, and and if you could own, like if there's, you know, a million different Mona Lisas in the world and you could own any of them, the one you would want to own is the original one. Right. And you wouldn't mm-hmm. even want to own it because necessarily it's the original one. It's just the one that everybody else agrees is the original one. Right. Like mm-hmm. the social consensus is the thing that creates value. Totally. Absolutely. And there is no better tool for like determining consensus around ownership than a blockchain. That's like literally what it was invented for. Right. Like. It,
0: yeah, the that idea of sort of communal consensus is is almost like another way of of what we always talk about as as in terms of authenticity. It's like it's like that's that's another thing that sort of feeds into this idea of of authenticity. Is like just everyone agreeing that this is the thing. Or you know, in the case of in the case of what I'm making, like you know, the artists themselves saying this this is the one you know um that's where the sort of crypto art part comes in right the artist says well yeah you can take a screenshot of this but that's not the that, the artist says that's not the original that's here's the original over here this this artifact i like the idea i like the idea of calling the token an artifact i like right. that a lot actually like in separating yeah. it out from here's the image and here's the artifact and they're mm-hmm. connected but they're not they're, they're not necessarily exactly the same. Mm-hmm, they're sort mm-hmm. of two layers of the same thing.
1: Yeah, like the entering... artifact
2: has an image,
0: right. but it is not right. an
2: image
1: itself. I think we're entering a golden age of uh, metaphors for truly yeah. digitally owned things. <laughs> we Between are. eternal artifacts, glyphs, stickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Well, well, my issue with the word NFT is that Mm -hmm. it's like people talk about it like it's such a bad label, but I think the truth is it's a, the distinction is it's a developer label, not a user label. Right. Right. The the community of people for whom NFT is relevant is people who are doing technical implementation. Like you would, you would Mm want to know, oh, what is the underlying thing? But for users, like, you know, we don't, in the non crypto world, we don't have one name for all other types of digital assets, right? I own. Domain names and Counter Strike skins and loans on Kiva. And none of those things have like a generic technical label, like, oh, it's a database row or something like that, which is what we do in the blockchain world. So I think like over time, we're not going to arrive at this like one true perfect consumer name. We're just going to call them lots of different things that are relevant for what their Mm -hmm. application is. Totally. And and I can see artifact being the word for this type of collectible art thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there might be you know another application that under the hood is functionally very similar but because the user base is different there's a different label that works for that
1: there is one property of nft though that i think we're missing with the context specific words and that is the implication of interoperability the idea that if you know the developer says this is an erc721 nft on ethereum you then know like that's all the information you need to know to say okay well i absolutely understand this it works with my wallet it works with this thing i can move it over to openc and i can sell it it implies a lot of um interoperability ecosystem stuff exactly it's like saying that you're part of the star alliance and that implies now i get access to the lounges and blah 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 like it's Mm -hmm. that sort of that property is actually pretty useful um there it feels like there should be like a a works with blank or like is part of so-and-so consortium or something like that intel and inside I don't know. right exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a branding uh problem yeah really. it is it is the, yeah the erc 721 nft is a brand that implies inter- interoperability with all the other things that advertise erc 721 NFT, yeah it's worth interoperability. figuring it out and so it's definitely going to be hard to produce a brand like that though because a brand implies ownership right and that's something that even like ERC seven twenty one NFTs don't really totally get away from is they still feel, you know, they're they're a bit more the ownership of that term is very decentralized, but it was still created by like Crypto one Kitties. Group of people. Yeah. Exactly. Who, you know, you create a an ERC and it happens to have the number seven twenty one and then there's a large discussion and an NFT pops out at the end. It's um yeah, it's it's gonna be hard to create a brand that people feel like they own and then you know, would want to place all around the web and associate with and so on.
0: Um, can we talk a little bit about, so uh, Cyrus, just to, let's plug this really quick. So if you mm-hmm. just go to Zoma.com, uh, you can click through to the Kickstarter. It will be, go by the time this airs, it'll be going for about like 20, well, probably about two, three more weeks to go on the Kickstarter. So go uh, after you've bought a t-shirt <laughs> go right. and 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 put some money into zoma um zoma.com z o m a but i'm curious cyrus um about your thinking in terms of what you know i had considered at one point um using kickstarter to try to raise some money to to do my song a day world project that i'm working on uh, tell me a little bit about th- about that decision to go on on kickstarter as opposed to you know, one of the various kind of Kickstarter crypto clones that, that exist or, or doing it at, or slash every other
1: way of getting money for a project. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I think most pr- technical projects on Kickstarter, like they're usually hardware and it's usually like they're raising money because they need a certain amount to like go into manufacturing. So it's, it's right. like, um, you know, we, we can't like contract the factory until we get to $500,000 or something right. like that. And like, that, that isn't the case for, for my project. Uh, the reason I wanted to go um, with crowdfunding to begin with is I, I think the value in owning an artifact is really around social consensus. So there needs to be a community of people who care about these things. I think that's like one of the things that CryptoPunks, for example, got right is they had 10,000 of them. So you like immediately had a community of people who were like invested in yeah. you that some punks were rarer than others and so right. on and so forth. So I think it, it's kind of a way of getting a bunch of people together and saying, hey, we're all only going to put money in if we can reach a sufficient number of people that care about this thing, because that's where a lot of the value derives. And And the reason that I went with Kickstarter instead of um, you know, one of the other platforms is like it was an experiment in seeing to the extent that I can try, can I get lay people excited about this thing? Like, can I right. get people that I don't know to put money in because they yeah. happen upon this and they're kind of artsy and they think this sounds cool and experimental right. and, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Because, yeah. you know, if lay I, people. If I, yeah. Cause if I can't yeah. get them, then I don't think, you know, I've um, come up with the right set of ingredients to communicate a value proposition that is effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, in my thinking about it, like, and I've done two. I've done two Kickstarters. I did one um, when I reached a thousand songs. Um, you know, almost three thousand songs ago. Uh, <laughs> I I did a Kickstarter. I, I my goal was like ten grand, and it was t- it was basically to record an album. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a very sort of standard Kickstarter in that sense. And, and, and it was good. And, and then I did another one to record another album about Harry Potter a couple years later. And I really considered uh, doing a Kickstarter for song of day world. And I, I talked to some friends about it and I couldn't quite even convince, like, I had a hard time sort of convincing my friends who are sort of very Kickstarter savvy that, um, you know, and, and. And granted, it is about my my project is music based, and so people have kind of very specific expectations around that. What I what I'm offering is like these, you know. I was doing sort of the same thing that you're doing, Cyrus. I was thinking I would I would offer up songs, my songs, as one of one NFTs, like mm-hmm. like I'm eventually going to do on the platform, and um, that would be sort of the way that I would raise the money. Um, and I couldn't really convince my friends that that was like going to be enough for people that like Mm -hmm. people are going to have such an expectation, especially when it's music of like, well, you're not recording anything new. I'm not going to get like a download of like a new song or like, right.
1: Highly intuitive, unintuitive compared to the history. Yeah. Yeah,
0: And I, and I wonder too about, about that. Like if, Mm -hmm. um, people either want something physical,
1: right, right. Um, or they want to certainly with kickstarter the the trends are either like hardware or a game and those are sort or of or an album right
0: you know like i album. need this money to right. pay the producer to pay the recording people mm-hmm. um it, it but it's a, it's a it's a really interesting it's a really interesting problem because it's like it's a chicken and the egg thing right it's like it's can you, and and you're absolutely right. It's like, can you figure out the language, the way to talk about it that is going to get people as excited as we are? Mm-hmm.
2: I, I've definitely gotten the the pushback that you're describing yeah. in terms of uh, messages from people that I don't know. Yeah. Um, hmm. stu- stuff like, you know, oh, well, can I have a printout of it, Right. you know, of the artwork Exit, itself yeah. instead of a oh, token? those Ex- questions yeah.
1: would be so good to publish. Yeah, yeah no, they would be. They absolutely are, if you uh, get yeah. like permission yeah, I mean, or anonymized. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll ask Cause yeah. I, if somebody yeah. sends
2: me a private message, I don't want to like, you know, right, th- course, throw it yeah. online. But yeah, right. it, it has been really interesting. That's and that's like,
1: really interesting.
2: It, it, I think the fact that I'm getting that pushback is, is a good thing because yeah. It, yeah. I Certainly. think it's like, it refines, then, it. you know. It, it refines it, and then it's like I have to make a more compelling case for why they would not want that. Because right. if I have collectible posters and I also have collectible tokens, right. then it's mm-hmm. like, well, which one is the thing that you actually right. want? Like, right. Where is the value accruing? Because I don't want to um, dilute down what the intention of the product is to reach the funding goal. I think right. if I can't reach the funding goal with the message that clearly says you're buying this to get an artifact – Um, Mm -hmm. then, then I think it's like, I need to refine the pitch and figure out the marketing that makes people actually want that thing. And maybe there's some like incremental version, you know, that, that sort of gets them over the hump more easily, but, but I don't want to sort of long-term set up, set up the idea that this is about something physical too, or it's sort of, you know, it's a very philosophically challenging thing. And I think Zoma more than anything else is an experiment to see. Yeah, can I
1: use language to get over that hump? You definitely want to test that hypothesis in isolation, so mm-hmm. to speak. I,
0: I feel like you feel the same way about CryptoPunks as I do. Like, like I feel like I feel like, you know, that was certainly the project that that lit lit the fire for me. And I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to like what is it about either us, you know, or, or people like us and that project more, you know, almost maybe more than any other project that that sort of gets the juices flowing. Like what what is it? Like what what what
2: is at the heart of our sort of love of that of that project. So I can say what it is for me. I'm I'm not sure what it is for other people. For me it was I was really turned on to the fact that cryptopunks was so philosophically challenging. Hmm. Like it, it it reminded me of the feeling that I got when I first heard about Bitcoin. And like, I didn't really understand the technical aspects that that well at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I was told about them by somebody that I sort of trusted on the technical stuff. So I was like, okay, assume this works under the covers. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I immediately was talking about it to everyone I knew. Mm-hmm. There's this new kind of magic internet money mm-hmm. and nobody controls it. And you can send it peer to peer. And what does that mean? And, you know, the conversation inevitably goes like, well what is it backed by? Right. Well what is the dollar backed right. by? What right. is anything right. backed right. by? Right. right, right, And like the the it led into all these crazy philosophical conversations about the nature of money and and when I first heard about CryptoPunks it immediately triggered something philosophical about what does it mean to own a work of art? Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my like aha moment where it was like is it about the way that it looks? Is it about the fact that no one else has it? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and I think the fact that the CryptoPunks creators they did something really smart. They they gave them away for free, right? Um, right. And they just kept a, a few themselves. Uh, I think that kind of got everybody's scam guard down that mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like, we're trying to take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. And it was more just about like, this is an experiment. This is a journey come along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The combination mm-hmm. of those factors is what I found so fascinating. It's,
0: it's totally. worth it, just as an aside, It's it's always worth noting in in that conversation that for the first few weeks, you know, they 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 couldn't give they literally couldn't give them all away, right? And it wasn't yeah, until yeah. they got a little yeah. bit of press um, um, that that they all immediately went. But I th- I think that's that's always worth noting because, totally. um, you know, I, I I totally see what you're saying, and it's actually interesting to hear you say that because because that's that's not at all um, what attracts me to it in terms of this sort of broader philosophical. Um, uh, wrestling with with what what it means um, to me, it's 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 almost more like it's almost more like in line with your sort of collectible maximalism thing. Which is, there's just and I, and this is why I, I want I wanted to hear what you said because because I, I don't know I, I've never been able to like verbalize it quite right. There's just something so like innately cool to me about it. Just mm-hmm. there's just this feeling that I get when i look at them and when i bought one there's just a feeling and it's it, it's 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 a feeling that i can't quite describe that that i think is is part certainly part of the problem and especially if like if someone else doesn't just automatically have that feeling the way that i do and frankly i haven't really had that feeling with many projects other other than cryptopunks right like mm-hmm. kitties certainly mm-hmm. never did it for me um mm-hmm. there's something sort of uniquely uh kind of right <laughs> the description oh, it's is just, hard it just,
1: it yeah. just it just it just it, it, it it's elusive i can't I can't put right. it down um right I think I know what feeling you're thinking of though i i am really into Gachapon machines the capsule toys in in Japan mm. and elsewhere and um it's it's a similar sort of thing where there are tons of these series of collectible toys that have you know zero utilitarian right. value there's like um you know, a collection of cats sitting on hot uh, kitchenware, right. or like tiny pieces of uh, parts of houses. So like a little windowsill or something, right? There's a, there's a ton of different collectible things, but only a few of them hit me with this like, oh yeah, I want that, and I don't know why. <laughs> right. And and it's that sort of, I don't, yeah. Again, elusive description. It's an itch. It's like an itch. Right. It's an itch, and you got to scratch right. it by having it. Right. Yeah.
0: I'm also curious Cyrus about, about Zoma, um, more like the, the app itself. What, so, so right. what's, what's driving your, your desire right. to build this thing? Like what separates
1: it from, um, other offerings sort of in the, in the right. space? And I have, I have a lot of questions around, um, the environment in making these digitally owned things, these collectibles, these artifacts, making them valuable, um, Exactly. How do you create that environment in which they are valuable?
2: So um, design decisions, I think, were more than anything else motivated by user experience. Like, how can I both be true to the decentralization crypto ideals, as well as, like, make something that, um, you know, people understand and maps most closely with their existing collectibles behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, like, on the technical side, that's what led to being, like, there's not going to be a mint function. Like, it's going to be like CryptoPunks where once the people own these things, I have zero power. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also what led to the, you know all of the, the off-chain assets being stored on IPFS as opposed to like our own web server. right? right? It's like we can't mess with any of it. Um, and it's also what led to some decisions like, hey, we should make a mobile wallet um, that has the same name as what the product is. Because when you Mm. talk about like, for example, CryptoPunks or CryptoKitties with people, what they don't expect to do is then go download MetaMask MetaMask or download a Coinbase wallet. What they want to do is they want to open up the app store and type in CryptoKitties, right? Because they they think when I'm going to use an application or I'm going to do a thing, it's stored within my CryptoKitties app. So Mm -hmm. um, I think I kind of needed like both sides of that coin. Like it sort of feels centralized because your wallet is branded with the same thing as the collectible. Um, and maybe you give up a little bit on the interoperability, but the interoperability is still there, right? Like if, if Zoma disappears after people have bought these things, they can still take their seed phrase, plug it in a MetaMask, all their assets are there waiting for them. We have no way to take the
1: assets away. Yeah, no, that, that unification of the branding is super, super important for, um, really just people who aren't already in depth in crypto and realize that everything interoperates and, um, you know, the standards track is, is relatively effective. Yeah, no, totally. That, that's it's... also what
2: led to the design decision of, I want to distribute these things physically. Like I want to have mm-hmm. a box where mm-hmm. you open up a box and then, you know, you do a scan action and you, you get oh, your artifact cool. that way. Um, that's yes. how you get Very your cool. artifact. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like when you had uh, Danny Ooh. Grant on the podcast, yeah. one of the things she talked about is she was doing this secret Santa and like she didn't have a way to easily grift a CryptoKitty. So what she had to say is like, hey, if you have this prize, like email me later and I'll give you a CryptoKitty. Right. And like right. that, that's because that's the best way you have to do that problem, right? But if there's a physical thing and you know, right. hey, there's a Gumby it artifact inside. Right, because I figured like, this stuff is so philosophically challenging and weird that the mm-hmm. best mm-hmm. way to hear about it is to have someone that you know and trust introduce you to the concept. So, like, if you want to be a backer of Zoma, you might buy, let's say, a few of the artifacts, and then you you've got one, one for yourself. Right. You can give one away, and then you've got a friend who has one too, because, like, right. I've given friends CryptoPunks for their birthday, right. and, like, n- now I gave one to my brother-in-law, and now it's, like, a thing that we joke about. Like, oh, oh how's your punk right, doing? Right. Have you checked the prices lately <laughs> or whatever, right? And I think, like, that physical gifting action is really cool. And, yeah. and I think one other advantage is, um, because it's also the wallet that, you know, you have to write down the, the recovery phrase for, you've now got like a physical thing with the 24 lines that you write down the 24 words on, because the, the adoption of writing down words is a lot higher. If you've got a little instru- instruction booklet in front of you, if you've got a little thing that says, this is your recovery phrase, keep it private. Like if you've opened up like a treasure or a ledger wallet mm-hmm. before you've had this experience and you're like much more likely to write down those words. Mm-hmm. And if you like download metamask right. and it feels like this isn't in, in in my computer thing i'm not going to go find a pen and get a paper <laughs> right. and that kind right. of
0: stuff yeah that's cool do do is this like a user generator thing can people create their own artifacts on zoma is that part of it
2: so right now no okay and um i, I think long term probably yes i mean it's definitely some feedback that i've gotten mm-hmm. this this idea that like Oh, I'm an artist, or my friend is an artist, right. and I think this concept could be really cool as a way for them to, you know, monetize their work. Is there a way that that we can, you know, get on the platform and use it from the other side? Um, I I think like it's a lot easier to sort of uh, create a marketplace by starting with with one side versus the other, mm-hmm. rather than like getting into this chicken and egg scenario. Mm-hmm. So I think I see Zoma's role right now as being maybe something like an art gallery Mm -hmm. where we're not the artists themselves, but we're doing some sort of curation. curation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think, um, I think long-term there's no reason why we should function as the gatekeepers, right? If people want to create and they want to Mm -hmm. um, run their own little store and sell their artifacts and have their own fans, I, I see no reason why we should keep them out of it.
0: And so what, what ultimately, I mean, I guess I can probably answer this question, but like, Um, you know, there, you got super rare, you got rare, you got, uh, known origin. I mean, one thing is that you're mobile, you're mobile first. That's, Mm -hmm. that sets (laughs) you apart. The, the physical objects I think is a huge difference.
1: Yeah. The physical thing is really cool. I like that a lot. lot Especially as deliverable from a Kickstarter. Like Mm -hmm. it really connects, like it, it feels like you You get get something. um, Yeah. What's the, yeah, you get something out of it. It's a closure is, is perhaps the word for that.
0: And, and it's interesting too, cause you don't get you, like to your point earlier, it's like you, you don't get a, you, the, the, the image that you're buying, right. Of, of Gumby, you don't get, you just get a little box that comes with a little explanation and a, and a little QR code and that's what you get. Right.
2: Yeah. An access card we call right. it because access if if card, we print yeah. out Gumby and we put Gumby in the box that's and it's like, well, confusing. what's the collectible right. Gumby? Right. right. So yeah. Confusing. It's gotta be the one on the screen. Yeah. That's great. That's right, great. Right.
1: I was going to ask, um, speaking of physical goods, um, and I guess in in the context of Gumby specifically, because I, I think I was a little too late for Gumby the the hype of Gumby, but I still had a Gumby toy oh, yeah. as a kid. Oh yeah, everyone knows Gumby. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm, I I want to ask about what you think about the sort of innate divide between how people approach physical things and digital things, even if, like for example, that Gumby action figure. Um, doesn't really have any utility. It is just a collectible. But because it's physical, it still has this maybe innate utility of being able to be part of play and placed and posed and mm, stories built around. And physical things still, still have this aura, regardless. Right. It's like as a human, I kind of like physical things, and um, our world is incredibly it's all physical. <laughs> it's like, we you can take this Gumby and put it, you know, on, on a counter, you can put it on your desk, you can do all kinds of things with it. Um, and like you were mentioning, like uh, in a game, having some sort of curatorial ownership, being able to move items around, gives you that sense of ownership. Um, what do you think about the divide between physical things and digital things in that, in that specific case? And then br- maybe bringing that metaphor over that sort of thing.
2: I, I think of it maybe kind of like um, a Venn diagram where there's like uh, you know there, there's some overlap where there's um, competition where one can be a substitute for another and then there's mm-hmm. there's some categories where clearly digital be- is better or clearly physical is better mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. I think of what Zoma is doing and the crypto collectibles ecosystem more broadly is doing is is maybe just creating a new, a new medium for art. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. oil paintings and sculptures and pop culture memorabilia and trading cards and bobbleheads and all those sorts of things. And, and maybe artifacts is just one more on that list. So yeah, the the world is physical. I think kids should probably play with physical toys more than they spend tapping on iPads today. Mm -hmm. And I definitely wouldn't want to replace that or make the argument that we're all going to be in VR in five years or (laughs) or something else. But Mm -hmm. I think there's there's also you know a place for for digital collectibles for crypto collectibles and I, I think um, you know I'm taking a shot at at trying to bet make my my best interpretation of that
1: totally totally um,
0: you got the Gumby license you 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 are yeah, right. you are officially licensed to yeah to use Gumby's likeness. Is is there any interesting
1: story there? Like what's, (laughs) how How does licensing play into collectible maximalism? And
0: (laughs) and how did you arrive at Gumby? Like, well, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Gumby. Great. Like, yeah,
0: it's it's yeah. actually a really great choice. Weirdly, it's like it's like a really right. great choice. I wouldn't have thought of yeah. it. Thought of it, but when you when you telegrammed us and you're like Gumby, I'm like, yeah,
1: Gumby.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's yeah. perfect because it's got this kind of nostalgia. Gumby sure, got 100%. this nostalgia for element sure. for like nobody millennials. thought Gumby
1: would be pushing the technological. Right barriers right. of, yeah. of 20, <laughs> right. 2019 and, and
2: as a bonus he's the most flexible business partner hey. i've ever had hey. <laughs> <What a burden. laughs> yeah. um, no i think the thing that so, so i like gumby when um when i was making this decision on like does this <laughs> licensing make sense yeah um pop, <laughs> pop culture memorabilia is like one of those it's a way that people collect art without thinking they're collecting art, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. if it's like baseball cards mm-hmm. or Funko Pop oh, sure. or whatever mm-hmm. else, it's like, you're really like curating your own little personal art collection. Yeah. So totally. I, I think the fact that people have fandom and affinity yeah. for mass media things like, you know, TV shows and movies mm-hmm. and musicians mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff is a great entryway in, into this ecosystem. Yeah. And I feel like the, the super rares of the world are doing a great job at coming at it from a fine art angle. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, maybe if my whole goal is to like convince lay people broadly, mm-hmm. it makes sense right. to do pop culture memorabilia. So that's right. that's kind of what art. led to yeah. wanting to do licensing from the beginning. And then, you know, I liked Gumby growing up. Um, they played the reruns on Nickelodeon mm-hmm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, which which is like how I first watched Gumby. And by the way, the Gumby cartoons are, are freaking weird.
0: If you go back and like if you, they're psychedelic. They are like they are wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah. And and I and I think the the Gumby team, they love that aspect. Yeah. I mean, sure, um sure. they they like they, they talk about how kids after they watch an episode of Gumby, they don't want to eat junk food, they want to draw. They oh, want right. to be creative, right? right? That's and, and,
1: subliminal. I love <laughs> yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. Wow, you should partner with X Copy and get some psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could see that. Yeah, do,
2: do, do, yeah. One of the things that made the the licensing really easy mm-hmm. is that Gumby is is also a family business, right? It's not mm-hmm. so for for a lot of like TV shows, the the licensing rights are super complex, like right? So you've got Warner like Brothers or like, yeah, and then yeah, then you've got like the likenesses of right. the people who are in the show right. and all that kind of stuff. Right um Gumby's a family business wow. which which makes doing the the process of the deal easy and then it's like... the, the coincidence that really made it work is the creator of Gumby's uh, grandson Recently graduated with math computer science, uh, and so when I kind of got into my pitch about, hey, I want to he do knew. this thing, yeah, he immediately he immediately knew like, oh, is this a blockchain? Ah, oh, cool. And I was okay. like, oh, I'm in the door, I'm right? In the so door. I am yeah, yeah. like you felt yeah, that tingle, you felt
0: inter- that tingle go down your spine. You're like, <laughs> I got this. Yeah, I got yeah, this. Yeah, I, this I had it. an
2: internal champion, and like he wasn't the sole decision maker, but just having somebody on the licenser Trustworth- side, trustworthy, who, who, yeah, yeah, who understood it That's and that kind of stuff. It, it was great. That's, I that's that. one thing led to another and how it happened.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, you brought up Funko Pops, but I think that's a great example of basically Trojan horsing collect collection into the, you know, how people just want to get things. And what's interesting about the Funko Pops to me is that they all follow the same sort of, um, format and there's a sort of collectability that comes out of the, the, um, not the forcing, but the adaptation of all the different brands mm. and whatnot into this one well, format. Well, that's
0: CryptoPunks, right? That's right, CryptoPunks.
1: Certainly. Right. You get this variety within a sort of standard uh, template, perhaps.
2: You've got the and square then, head and the big black eyes. And
1: then right. it's like, what
2: can you do within the, the creative constraints of that?
1: Totally. Yeah. Constraints drive creativity sort of thing. Yeah. Do you think that plays out in digital as well? I think
2: maybe. And it's it's one thing mm-hmm. that I thought about is, you know, does does it make sense for to try and decree a Zoma aesthetic? And then, right. you know, if we do multiple licenses, mm-hmm. those multiple licenses all fit within that aesthetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um I could see it being something that that long term happens, but I, I decided that, you know, it's not something I needed to decree today. And if, if you look at the history of right. Funko, um, pop came I think like 10 or 15 years into the company's oh, existence. Wow, okay. They were doing all sorts of like um, Bobble heads and, and that kind of stuff before they landed mm. on the the pop vinyl figure and, and even today They've got a couple different product lines even though the right, pop the Pop's right. are the is biggest the biggest one. one
1: It seems like it might be a little jumping the gun to you know prescribe an aesthetic so early.
2: Yeah more than anything else I just wanted to see like can I sell people on the, the form factor, on what the thing is. Do they want to own an artifact before you know, right. f- figuring out all of the other details itself? But it was also really important to have you know, professional illustrators, people with with a level of credibility within the art community.
1: Yeah, and since you were talking about bringing over or that, that Venn diagram of properties that work really well in physical space, properties that work really well in digital space, and the intersection of the two, um, how do you think about classifying a property Um, for example, we had chatted about, um, degradation of art and how like physical art kind of degrades over time. It gets bumped, it gets scratched, it, you know, it gets a veneer across it. Um, there's a word for that in, in art. I forget what it is, but, um, bringing that into digital space maybe doesn't make as much sense because obviously bits don't degrade unless, uh, you know, radiation happens or something. And so, um, what, how do you think about like which properties you might wanna bring over to the digital space? And um, how do you think about the, I guess, authenticity of that, um, if that's not too abstract? Uh,
2: no, I, I think it's, it's very relevant. And there's a couple, my mind immediately goes to a couple different types of collectibles that fit this theme you're describing. Mm-hmm. So like the first one is magic cards. Mm-hmm. So like you've got a value for a particular type of card, but then you've got this kind of subjective quality of like how good that card is. So like the mm-hmm. most valuable magic card is called a Black Lotus. And you could have like a really beat up, heavily played Black Lotus. And then you could have like a mint condition Black Lotus that was like taken out of the pack and immediately put into a hard case. Right. But they're they're both Black Lotus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like you, you also see that with uh, in the art world with woodblock prints. So like the most mm-hmm. famous Japanese artwork is the the Great Wave. And i think people i think there's something like two thousand different copies out there and Mm. our art galleries brag about when they have an early printing Mm. because it means that some of the more fine details are visible right because as you make the prints over time the woodblock gets kind of worn down so like it's a side
1: effect of the mm -hmm. actual process
2: yeah so like what is the right spread between like a super high quality one versus like a low quality one is it like Mm a 10x Mm -hmm. is it like a 2x like how much do people value owning a great wave versus owning like a very high quality great wave. Right. Um, totally. And and there, the, the digital thing that I think of where that has been uh, attempted to be emulated is actually counter-strike skins. So if, mm. if, if anybody listening plays counter-strike go, they know that like you can have a very valuable skin for your gun in the game, like a visual decoration, and it can also be like very scratched up. And there's kind of mm. this like mm. multiplier effect where like, if you got a super minty one, it's worth some amount, Whereas if you've got this like battle scarred one that's got like all these scratches all over it, right. it's, it's worth a little bit less. And I think totally, the, the totally. thing that I wanted to take away, the general theme from all of that, um, was the idea that like there's kind of this semi-fungibility where you can have like multiple people that um, they all own something with the same name but they all Mm. also have like slightly variant versions of it. And I think that's what leads to an interesting market. Mm, So like there's going to be 500 people that own the portrait Gumby doesn't experiment. Uh But some of those people are going to have low edition numbers. They're going to own edition number one, two, three, four, five. Some of those are going to have artist signatures on them. And some of them are are not. And it's just going to be kind of a thing that we discover that like, you know, does the market end up valuing those low numbers? Or is it kind of like the thing you want to own is just you want to own a Gumby and it doesn't really matter which one. That was sort of like the level of decision making I I, I wanted to put in as opposed to like the degradation kind of thing, which felt more like just a result of the way the physical world
1: works. And I I like that you brought up the semi-fungibility. We talked about that with uh, Matt Stevenson, uh, where he called it quasi-fungibility. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful properties that has been given a name recently. Mm -hmm. It's obviously existed forever, but the idea that it's, you, you get the benefits of both fungibility and non-fungibility. The idea that to a set of people, there is a base value, a floor, a price floor, perhaps of fungible value, um, for this thing. And that is like, in the case of Gumby, it's a picture of Gumby and then, or a rare picture of Gumby. And there is a non-fungible value as well, which is the other properties that make it more unique, like uh, its history, its uh, provenance, Who's owned uh, whether it. or not it's signed. Yeah. exactly. Right. And that's really, really cool because you get one of the coolest things about non-fungible items, and not just like non-fungible tokens, but just non-fungible things in the world, is that um, because of their non-fungibility, you can have a trade that is, um, it's not a 0 sum right. game where both people can trade and end up happy. And that's really cool.
2: You can broadly make the argument that in CryptoPunks, zombies are worth more than the males or the females because they're like substantially rarer and they, they look mm-hmm. different right. and they got picked over faster, right? right? But like is a zombie with a clown nose worth more than a zombie with an earring and a baseball because hat? Because the clown nose like, is I also, think yeah. That, well, there's no other zombie that also has an right. earring and the baseball hat. Th- those conversations and discussions almost become their own metagame yes. among the yes, collectors. Yes, 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 yes. Like, every, everybody gets to feel like theirs is the most special. Absolutely. Because they, they've they kind of got exactly. something that maps to somebody else's, but they've also kind of got their own, like, unique totally. one. And, and I think... hundred percent. And I think, like, rather than sort of decreeing the exact way that those values should be, it's better to just... Provide that environment and give people yes. that utility, and then and let, let the market be whatever. It
0: you is. know that was uh, in one of my very first conversations with the CryptoPunks guys. Actually, it was the very first conversation. They that's one of the things that they said. They said that um, it was what really they felt like the moment they really felt like they had something was like when people started arguing with each other on Telegram mm-hmm. and on Discord about which ones should be more valuable and which ones are more rare than others and why, and here's this and here's that and here's my argument and, like, you know, things get totally. heated or whatever. And and that's, like, that's I mean, that's huge, right? Then, then you've created right. a community. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that personalization, that sort of potential to be – the potential for the personal value of something to be much higher than its fungible, like, market value is really important. Um, like, for example, some clothes that I have are – you know, they I, I care about them like this jacket way more than some random person right. would, um, because I've worn it to this place and done these things with it and had these experiences with it. And the same thing applies to like the CryptoPunk, the zombie with the earring. It's like, this is mine and I think it's more valuable and, even if you know no one else agrees, I'm still happy with that.
0: We're just over an hour now, so let's start wrapping it up. You can follow Cyrus on Twitter. His handle is just Cyrus. Is there anything else that you want to plug, cool. or, or I think probably the Kickstarter is is the one.
2: Yeah, go go to Zoma.com. That's the easiest way oh, nice. to get to get a link. Uh, Z O M A. Yeah. If you uh, care about digital items and crypto collectibles enough to listen to this podcast, you are crazy <laughs> if you don't put $24 into that Kickstarter and buy a Gumby.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. Uh,
2: but that's all I want to That's applaud. a fact.
0: That's a fact, nice. Jack.
1: Uh, huh. Matt, what, are you, what do you got going on? I am raising for Dot still. So if you are an investor listening to this call or someone who has money and would like to exchange it for percent equity in a business called Dot that I'm running, uh, do let me know. Um, I won't chill the whole thing here, but it ties into basically everything we're talking about um creating authentic uh you know, giving people a reason to care about digital memorabilia and artifacts.
0: Um and I saw something go by that you got some deal with AWS or something.
1: Yeah, they have this thing. It's super cool. They just give you a bunch of AWS credits. Oh yeah. Um, and they are specifically Boom. going after blockchain um startups who uh, you know, I don't know why they think blockchain startups <laughs> would need more money than other people, but I certainly do because we didn't run an ICO or anything, so <laughs> it's been super helpful. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: But congrats on that. That seemed like a. That seems like a, a.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a weight off my shoulders. Yeah,
0: one less problem to worry totally. about. Totally. Uh, I am once again just gonna just gonna plug our t-shirts. It's a Bitly link: Bitly slash dr shirt b i t dot l y slash shirt. Um, Cotton Bureau. They're beautiful. Digialty mm-hmm. rare
1: it's GGLT a rare
0: physically rare object that you can only get for a very limited time and they oh, will be gone so forever so, right. so H- how many scarcity... am i allowed to buy i think it's unlimited right. actually or... i think okay. basically the way that it works is however many people order them so the the the, the span of time goes by i think it's going to be two weeks and then however many are ordered that's how many they print and never again will it be printed. So so I think you can order right. as many as you want, frank, frankly. And
1: so that's really cool because we're driving scarcity through the social network of the people who listen to this and our Twitter followers of us and so on. And it's like, that's a really authentic allocation mechanism because these, these people have demonstrated interest in us and what we do and the podcast. And yet, you know, they didn't show up for a T-shirt, right? It's a second order second effect order. of... Something I am getting to one do. to
2: wear and one for the vault too. So nice. for my retirement account.
1: And I, I know Very good. you
2: can't legally give me investment advice, but I'm also <laughs> going to start window shopping for a yacht.
1: <laughs> when moon, when moon. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when polo. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good question. When are we making a polo uh, shirt? <laughs> there you go. That's the next round. That's the next round. Right. Um,
0: Very it was good. a little, I don't know. Yeah alligator or something anyway uh cyrus thanks again so much for coming on we 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 really appreciate it was great to be here i am
2: a big fan of the show
0: and uh (laughs) we will see you next time
1: next time
3: The same in every way But you know one was real And you know that one was fake What would you say Had the authenticity Failure begins with having to explain Fungibility onto the blockchain and i could make money off my song every single time it's heard if it were an nft owned by an erc's 20 bonded curve and matt owns the podium he won't light it on fire though horse dung and ultima online was a currency did you know Has a story, Nouriel Robini is wrong. William, <laughs> William Chamberlain invented curved salad tongs. You guys are amazing.